the more evidence, the better, I say. I mean, this, this is so improbable. That's, a, that's a, bold, a bold statement. I mean, I think that's a fair point, but I didn't make that argument. He did. Why, why is that true? Hmm. Is that a good question? Maybe it's not. That's... Drew, you're not supposed <laughs> can, to ask good questions you, like sorry, that. Sorry, sorry. Ask difficult questions. Bill, jump in here. I'm Bill the Christian. And I'm Drew the Skeptic. You're listening to The Divide. Okay, we're here um, at the American Atheist Convention, and, uh, and I'm talking to Justin. I'm Bill the Christian, and Drew is not here for this convention, but we're going to have in the after show a little follow-up discussion between Drew and, and me about this conversation. And uh, Justin is from Dallas, and uh, Justin, glad to have you. Thanks for having me. All right, and so we're going to be discussing, um, you know, what's your biggest problem uh, with Christianity? So what's, what, how, where do you, you want to go with that? Um. So I think in the debate, you know, the first step is, is there a God? The second step is, if there is one, what's his name and what does he prefer? You know? Yeah, Um, right. It's a two-step process. Yeah. I I was raised in Christianity, and so I tried to square that with what I saw in the world. And uh, God never spoke to me, and my prayers weren't answered, so I said, I must not be a good person. I need to try harder. So what I did was I read the entire Bible, and I took notes, and then I took those notes to a preacher. Uh, And at the end of that, what I discovered was that almost all the questions are matters of faith, so-called, despite that some things are answerable by reality. You know, Mm -hmm. dinosaurs did or did not exist. Empirically, I guess what you mean by that. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. so there were or there weren't dinosaurs, and they were or were not a test of faith to believe in them or not believe in them. Um, So... You get further down that line, and again, you're questioning, all right, well, if there's a God, and we say it's the Christian God, what does the Christian God stand for? And presumably those answers are in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the things that the Christian God stands for, in my mind, are not moral. Mm-hmm. Um, and if this is supposed to be the most just, the most loving, the most moral, mm-hmm. then who am I if I am offering propitiations or my time and effort and money to something that I find immoral in certain circumstances. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 it does. Okay. So I guess, it, it, I don't, not to put words in your mouth, but so you're, in one sense, your first big problem is that you felt like the, the two questions of is God real and what kind of God he is just sort of get blended together as if, if God is real, then it must be the Christian God. Yeah. That was one of your problems, is that right? Well, it's context specific. You're born here. You know, if I was born yeah. in India, I would have been a Hindu and that's yeah. that. <laughs> So let's talk about that one, and then we'll get to the moral one second. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, the so I would agree with you. Meaning, it seems to me that uh, the question of is God real? Is there a God in in the sort of classical theistic sense, capital G God, if you want to say that, mm. uh, is one question. Mm. And then a secondary question is: Is there a particular revelation of God on offer? Mm. Islam. Christianity, Judaism, Hinduism, some forms of Hinduism, that um, are more valid or have more credibility than the other ones? Or is it the case that there's no revelation and a person might be, say, a deist or something, uh, or an Aristotelian? So I'm in total agreement that those are really two separate questions. And, of course, C.S. Lewis famously, right, uh, explored the question of God first, Mm. became a theist, he famously said, you know, he when he converted to theism, he was the most dejected theist in England or something, or all of England. 
so he wasn't immediately thinking, I'm now a Christian. Mm-hmm. He, he, uh, when Anthony Flew, are you familiar with him at all? I'm Anthony not. Flew. So he was, he was Britain's most famous, famous atheist before Dawkins. Okay. So he, he presented a paper before C.S. Lewis at the Socratic Club at, at Cambridge. Uh, I think it was Cambridge. And he um, uh, made an argument. He's a philosopher and became famous for his argument and then sort of became a very famous atheist. But in the early 2000s, he, in his elderly years, deconverted. So he abandoned atheism and became a theist, but not a Christian Hmm. or Muslim or Jew or anything like that. So he died believing in sort of an Aristotelian God. Hmm. Uh, And so far as we know. So I'm in total agreement about that. Um, And do you think most Christians aren't? Because I would tend to think that maybe a Christian might, on the surface, think those two things are the same. It's either Jesus or nothing. Mm -hmm. But that if a Christian had that explained to them, I would think most Christians would sort of agree. I mean, after all, C.S. Lewis is treated very, you know, with great admiration and nobility that he, you know, as a thinker, a Christian thinker, or, or would you think a lot of Christians would sort of be in denial of that? Well, it depends on if we're talking about the average Christian parishioner, or because they're not, yeah. they're not apologists. They don't read a lot of C.S. Lewis. No, Most no, of them don't even read the Bible. No, it's true. Yeah. I just meant I would think if I explained that to fellow Christians, they mm-hmm. would say, "Oh, yeah, that does make sense." Or do you think most of them would sort of be, you know, like in denial of that, even if we, you and I sat there and explained that to them? I think most people who still go to church on a regular basis at this point in history, yeah, really do believe that the Bible is. True, the true word of the true God. Yeah, that um, there is no question about that fact to them. But of course, they've also never read any of the Bhagavad Gita, any of the Quran, any yeah. of, you know. So they're convinced that what they have is the truth. Yeah, and why question it? If, if especially if you've had a personal experience, those people mm-hmm. are the hardest to convince otherwise. Yeah. Even even if you had a compelling argument, I'm not sure they would care. Yeah, you know, right. Okay, so I, I think. We're, that that part probably isn't going to be as big of a problem. I, I really do think the average Christian probably, if that was explained to them, and maybe you disagree, but I think most of them would say it does make sense at a logical level that God could exist, but you still have to decide which of the religions that talk about God mm-hmm. are right, or all of them are right, or none of them are right. And certainly there have been a lot of people that are everybody knows, like Thomas Jefferson mm-hmm. or uh, someone like that, that have taken positions where they're not, say, they're not Christians in the normal sense. They believe in God. Uh, so let's talk about the moral one then, I guess. Okay. Um, do you, uh, which, what would you pick out that you would say is uh, something God did in the Bible, the Christian God? Mm-hmm. Now, of course, we have to differentiate that the Christians came along after uh, you know, the, the Old Testament scriptures or the Hebrew scriptures were, were written so that Jews will, would not like it if a, a, a Jewish listener wouldn't like it if I'm equating the two but no. certainly Christians identify with the God they believe God Yahweh came in the flesh yeah no. you know in the or the, at least the second person of the Godhead came in the flesh in, G, in the person of Jesus and so what would be something across all those scriptures that you feel like is well, first uh, a all, big problem you have Jesus said I came not to bring peace but a sword and uh, that's Jesus meek and mild Right there. Uh, All right. Uh, so that's one big. So is your what's flesh out your problem? Like what would be your problem with that? Um, 
It might seem obvious to to to, to me, but I don't want to assume what I think. I so mean it depends by that. on how someone defines morality in the first place. If you define morality as whatever God commands of you, that is different than someone who has reasoned their way through morality and has a different. There's no title for what they think is moral and not moral. Okay. Uh, like the closest I could say would be some sort of secular humanism or even secular Buddhism without any... That's kind of where my morality lies. Yeah. Aristotelianism uh, is like that too, of course. Okay. Yeah. So doing unto, some degree. doing unto others is a big part of that. Uh, but depending on God's mood, there's caprice, there's vindictiveness, there's punishment. Um, and so, the, so the, I came to, to, to with a sword, uh, you're saying, is um, more uh, um, of the sort of vindictic vindictive uh, sort of morality that Jesus occasionally characterized Jesus' teachings. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Um, Or take no thought for the morrow. uh, Come to me and sell all your possessions. I I can't directly quote it. Well, let's talk about the sort of one just for a second before we get too far from that. The first thing I I would say in response, then you you can tell me what you think of it, is I, I would think from a Christian perspective, you, it's not one or the other whether we reason out morality or God simply has spoken and that's the end of it. Mm. That, uh, that a Christian position is that, we, that both are involved. You know, that God mm. has spoken and when he has spoken, a Christian is, takes those things absolutely as authoritative. Mm. But that a Christian nonetheless reasons out morality, not only in the sense that God didn't talk about everything. Mm. So you have to still reason out how these big ideas apply. But also a Christian tries to understand why God said certain things and not other things. Why did he emphasize certain values over others? And uh, the, 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 the command from Deuteronomy to love the Lord your God with all your mind mm. is part of that, yeah. uh, that you, you're, you're to think and use your, your mind. So that's, my, that's one idea. But even just about that one thing, about sort of being vindictive. So I wouldn't think of that verse as saying that Jesus is vindictive in the sense of uh, sort of Clint Eastwood or, or Liam Neeson Coming well, that's back, a warning, and just... that, that, to me, that's a warning to those who would stand in the way of his message. Mm-hmm. To me, to, to me, he is saying, like, look, yes, we're here to do good things, but if you are in the way of our people doing good things, right, you right. are not good people, and good things will not happen. Right. Uh, which, to me, open, why would yeah. the most powerful being need to threaten anyone about anything? Yeah, it, it doesn't make sense. Uh, sure. or, or take a more modern example. So, if I ask a Christian. How does your God feel about the entire continent of Africa? And how do you square the last thousand years of history of Africa yeah. with your God not being racist or hateful towards blacks? Or, but it, because yeah. it doesn't make any sense that the most loving being who has the best plan yeah. just took a shit on a yeah. whole continent for a thousand years. And then the only recourse you have in the Bible is the children of Ham are cursed with black skin. Uh-huh. That's really, and you know, now you're talking. Slavery apologism, almost. You know, and I don't think that'd be the only way a Christian, with the only sort of recourse a Christian would have for trying to understand history or the history of Africa or something. Well, like even that, modern but, Africa, even yeah. if you wanted to make it just today, sure. Like the Ethiopians have constant drought. They're some of the most Christian people on the planet. Yeah, uh, they have constant droughts. They're found dehydrated, dead in their huts, praying. Yeah, and God did not come for them. And you right. can say, well, God has a plan, but that's fine. And maybe there is a God that exists, but it's not the just, loving, meek yeah. and mild. And then if he's not truly just, loving, meek and mild, then is it right for me to worship that God, even if it is real? And mm-hmm. I would say no. All right. So I think you've brought up, 
you, you've ultimately tapped into what is, I think, uh, probably one of the best arguments against the existence of God. Mm. So just to be clear, that's where I'm coming from. Uh, but, uh, but before we get to that, or back to that, I'd like to just talk about Jesus, particularly in his comment about the sword. I didn't mm. come to bring peace. So obviously since it's in the Gospels, we have to weigh it against the other things the Gospel writer presented. Mm. In other words, I, I'm a classicist, by the way. So I, you know, I take seriously, when you read a book, you've got to read the whole thing and weigh it against the other author's comments. And uh, clearly in the, in the Gospels, they don't think Jesus came solely to, cre- to, to bring the vengeance, say, or, the, or revenge from God against humanity. Mm. Uh, his first comment... Uh, out of the resurrection is famously peace be to you. Mm-hmm. So whenever whatever he meant by saying I didn't come to bring peace but a sword is in the very gospel where Jesus still talks about the importance of bringing peace. That's part of his mission. He came to seek and save the lost and things like that. So um, whatever he meant has to be balanced at least against those other things. It also has to be balanced against the what is like the central story which you're obviously familiar with which is that Jesus in the end died <laughs> mm. that w- whatever he did the it's clear enough that he the, the, the way the evangelists see it is that Jesus had the power you know he could have called legions of angels down mm. and and created um, a havoc and defended himself and whatever and uh, wiped out the Romans or the Jewish leadership or whatever but the story is that he, he let people crucify him. And he allowed them to crucify him, right? He could have made it otherwise, and he chose not to do that. So, meaning, I don't think you disagree with that much, right? That he could have chosen... Partially, but on a different basis than you might expect. So, okay. um, you said that if Jesus wanted to, he could have called down legions of agents. And well, that's a famous quote from him in the Garden you know, of Gethsemane, but when the, he's getting arrested. That is a non-falsifiable statement. That What happened is exactly what would have happened if he was lying about that. And there are no legions of angels because angels aren't real. So if you said, I chose not to call down the fictitious thing that isn't real, that's great. But, like, I could say that, too. Right now, I'm choosing not to call down a legion of giants to help me with to this conversation. <laughs> so well, you, would want, you would want a legion of Socrates, wouldn't you? Like, if he had have produced... <laughs> Philosophers an, or something. If, if he had have produced some angels and said, don't make me call them back here. Yeah. I'm such a nice guy, I won't call them back here. That would be a different thing. And the Romans kept hyper-meticulous records. Yeah. I'm pretty sure they would have wrote that down. Just like uh, the Bible says that everyone comes out of their graves in Jerusalem upon Jesus' resurrection, the Romans have no record of it, which is right. weird because you think that would be noteworthy that the dead are coming back to life in, in droves, yeah. and yet there's no record. And then the Romans also have record of four people named Jesus Christ, different mm-hmm. people. Only one of them was crucified. But isn't it strange that that was just a title for the leader of the Jews? Yeah. Uh, and only one of them, did, again, did they crucify as a criminal. But why don't we ever hear about the other three? All right. So, okay, so first of all, you brought up a whole different topic. By the way, Sorry. did you ever read, you ever read uh, History of Atheists? It's an atheist who does a blog called History for Atheists. Excuse me. History for Atheists. Tim O'Neill. Well, I, I think it's fantastic um, because, A, he's an atheist. Mm. Uh, B, a lot of what Tim writes I, t- I agree with. Mm. And so I don't think he would agree with your characterization right there about four atheists or whatever. So I, br- I just bring it up as interesting because he's yeah. an atheist. And, I, and, it, and it, 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 you may not agree with him, but I think he's worth reading. But let's go back to the, the original topic okay. the, about the, 
what I was saying about the the sword and the peace and, mm. and so on. That I don't think it dire- that you would directly address that in your in your response. That he um, that Jesus did actually die. The, the the author clearly all the evangelists think it's really really important that Jesus died, mm-hmm. and all and not all of them record that statement about the calling angels down. But I, I agree with your point that it's non falsifiable and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But it's not. I don't think that's relevant to what I was asking. My point wasn't whether we could know it was true. He said it. But that the authors are are presenting him as, and it's important to them mm. that he could have right then, if he wanted to, bring angels down and wreak all this sort of violent havoc, and and chose not to and died. So that whatever he meant by bringing the sword and not peace, he nonetheless didn't actually do that mm. in the moment that of his life. His mission was to come and heal the poor, excuse me, yeah, heal the poor psychologically, uh, economically to some extent, because he told some people to give their money to the poor, not everybody. Uh, And then, of course, to heal people physically and emotionally and spiritually and things like that. So my point is the one initial criticism you brought out, it seems to me that he, you know, he's sort of famous for the fact that he he came and he, he had power, but he chose not to wield it to to uh to as a threat to sort of the romans but actually died and then the gospel story is that that is supposed to bring peace to people and they can really have forgiveness and things like that so what's your how how do you respond to that if we're talking about on balance was jesus an overall moral character i would say yes okay for sure um but we are talking about a book that should be perfect and 100 percent moral there should be no moral failings to jesus right ever so that you know I mean? yeah yeah so that one in other words the fact that he said that even though he actually you're saying that the fact that he said it was a moral failing I'll, I'll bring the sword rather than I, peace I would or say because if you're talking about the messenger of the most perfect creator of the universe uh-huh. the message should be perfect yeah because you know, and then you get into authorship you're like well we're flawed humans recording in a time where it's passed on you know yeah uh, okay cool well, then I have no reason to believe it. Okay. What, what, somebody, so that's not really a moral issue. That's more of a historical one at that point. Isn't that right? Yeah. Whether it's actually historically valid. But well, it's, I mean, it's not a particular moral... I digress to that at the end of it, because yeah. if you say, on balance, Jesus is good, I say Jesus should have been perfect. And that, to me, is a moral issue, that Jesus isn't perfect. Okay. Uh, because... Because it's inconsistent God. with the message that he was God incarnate. Yeah. So is your so am I right from what you're saying there, that you think Jesus, on balance, is morally good... His teachings, but that he has some things he said you take a umbrage with. Is that right? Uh, give no thought for the morrow to me is not a moral statement um, because you mean it's an immoral statement. Yeah. Okay. Rather than amoral. Okay. I got it. Uh, that to me is is not not a good. Okay. <laughs> not a good sensible way to approach life. We we did that. It was called uh, manifest destiny. And then we logged the entire country, and we killed all the Indians. And you know, give no thought for the morrow. We won't okay. need those trees. Well, I think they were. I think they were giving thought. That's the horrifying <laughs> thing. The uh, okay. So I wouldn't. Again, that's something where I would think it, it's sort of clear to me. That's not. He didn't mean literally. Never think about tomorrow. First of all, because he himself actually talked about the future and had plans himself. He was planning to go to Jerusalem. He made. He took steps to make his trip there. Uh, they were hungry, and so they at one point he, his disciples were sent into a local city to buy food so they could eat. So he, it doesn't seem as though the authors are presenting his statement about give no thought to tomorrow as if 
like he meant you should never plan for something. Yeah, I, if that's what you think he meant, I, I can't imagine they really thought he meant that. Well, I mean, he, he was foreshadowing the actual apocalypse brought on by his father, right? So for him to say, like, this is all going to come to an end and I'm going to bring it to an end, that's why you don't need to have thought. So that's what, you, that's what you think he, he, he thought. that. Well, I, okay, so he certainly thought there was a coming judgment. Yeah. That it was tomorrow, I think, that there's no place to indicate that. But he, he certainly talked about a judgment that's coming. And at times talked about it as if it seems as though it's coming soon. Uh, well, if you ask average Christians, do they yeah. think that this is going to happen in their lifetime, they say yes. Yeah, well, that's true. I think there are some who think that and some who don't. But, uh, but the, uh, but either way, that wouldn't, wouldn't be relevant to our, our conversation. That's the, true. the, the, his comments in the context of him talking about give no thought tomorrow is the fact that people overvalue material wealth, material possessions. They they invest so much of their time and energy into things that are material. And from Jesus' perspective, there's an, there's an immaterial layer of reality, which is eternal, mm. and that it doesn't make sense to put so much value on the material things uh, to the exclusion or to, or more so, to, over, to eclipse spiritual eternal type values. And that's why he was talking about those, the context of what he was talking about, that God is, God is good and God by nature will provide for your material things, even if you're giving... Uh, putting value on eternal spiritual things in the context he talked about how god clothed the um uh the the lilies you know the field uh the who don't work at all but then he he talks about how he fed the birds which do work uh and of course there's you know it's a it's so it's not as though i mean the way i would describe christian views on this topic and the way those teachings of jesus seem to me to play out is that um, eternal things are more important. Inner soul is more important than your body and so on. But there is a tension mm. between how do you work that out and that he's trying to give gu- guidance on those tensions. And that's, it's, it's not more than that. It's not as though he's saying you should never think about tomorrow, literally. So I would agree that a critique of materialism is a part and is one plausible way to take what Jesus has said contextually. Okay. Uh, but I think there are multitude of ways to to interpret even in context the way that jesus was saying things uh and because there are multitude of ways again we're back to is it moral for a god to not give us a clear enough i I should not be able to object to the teachings of jesus if they're perfect and true and why could god not have provided me something that was less subjective and more objective okay uh because there are other plausible interpretations of those statements Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm not taking the plausibility yeah, away yeah. from your interpretation because right. I think it is plausible. Yeah. Uh, but there are multiple historical ways to interpret what's being said there. So I, I agree. I mean, I like it. How could I deny it? There's people read the Bible and come to different conclusions. They interpret different things. Would you agree that some interpretations of ancient literature, say, or for that matter, modern literature or the Constitution, mm-hmm. some things are just wrong. People just misread things. Sometimes people have arguments which might sound good on the surface, but if you actually go back and read the historical documents, the way, say, how did the fathers understand the, the, the First Amendment or the Free Exercise Clause or the Establishment Clause or whatever, gun rights, the, those sorts of things. Uh, I mean, I think we would both agree that some things have more historical. There's a lot. The, the, when you actually consider the historical possibilities, it's not quite as broad of a spectrum as people might think. 
And that's why I like Tim O'Neill, by the way, History for Atheists, because I think he, he cuts through some of the nonsense ways of reading the Bible mm-hmm. and at least narrows the scope. And that a lot, people like N.T. Wright, who's a fa- N.T. Wright's a pretty famous uh, Christian historian, theologian, mm-hmm. I think he and Tim O'Neill would actually agree on a lot of things that because they've looked at the historical documents and they come to more uh, settled conclusions. I don't really, my response to you is that I don't, I don't really think of that, you know, our, our minds by nature are not themselves eternal, divine, perfect minds. God didn't make us, he didn't like clone himself exactly. The Bible doesn't say he cloned himself. Uh, it's not Star Wars episode two, uh, but rather God made us in his image, in his likeness, and we, we by nature, weren't designed to be able to think exactly like him. We're to be able to. We're supposed to have the capacity to grow, and to grow toward God, but not actually be exactly ever God Himself. So by nature, there's going to be a demand on a human being to exercise their sense of reason and try to grow to toward the truth and toward goodness. And I don't, I don't see go. that as like problematic. In other words, I wouldn't see that as sort of fundamentally problematic. It's just part of the whole Christian story. But you would, you're saying it's immoral that God even started with that design template? Uh, how could the most loving creature create you and then allow the conditions or sometimes cause the conditions by which you cannot fulfill what he wants you to fulfill? Well, of course, I don't think that. Like, I, th- I mean, I think that the God has created the conditions so that we can... I mean, I think the Christian view is that God made us with the capacity to become fully, at some point, conformed to the image of Christ. Uh, but now we're back to the the classical argument, well, what if I was born a Hindu? It would not be my fault that I was born a Hindu, and I could be equally convinced and have spiritual feelings and those sorts of things. I mean, that's yeah. a classical argument. What about the guy born on the island by himself yeah, and right. you know, never hears the name Jesus? But, I mean, the Christian view is obviously that that guy has the same capacity, potential to become... It's not a capacity issue or a nature issue that he's more familiar with Hindu Hinduism, uh, although, obviously, in India today, it's it's not like no one's ever heard of Christianity. That's true. But, uh, but I mean, would, but still, I don't think he's getting at my... My question of, are you saying the actual... I don't know how you could get away from... Unless God makes, literally clones himself and everybody has perfect minds and they are never susceptible to wrongly understanding something, uh, which I... So are you saying that's a that's immoral that he didn't create people with that capacity? He could. He could cause... He, the most powerful being could cause every person to meet the requirements for heaven and send no one to hell. Uh then we get into the free okay. free will debate where you yeah. say, well, I mean, you have to have free will to accept Jesus, uh, but God has a plan. Yeah. So that's to say God's already decided if you're, which uh-huh. way you're going to go. Yeah. So what is the point of the praying? What is the point of believing or not believing? Right. All of that is predetermined. So if you have a, now you're at a point where there's a destiny or not a destiny, yeah. where did my free will go if God's already decided things? Right. Like what is the point of the prayers and the propitiations yeah. if God already knows your heart? Would you so, have a problem with the idea that, would you consider it immoral that God created, obviously God can't consult you on your creation. Mm. Logically, it's impossible. Mm. Would, do you see an immor- immoral problem with God creates you and then gives you some space to be able to choose one way or the other whether you want to spend eternity with him? Do you think that model is immoral itself inherently? So, 
I, I would phrase it slightly differently. Okay. Is the model of choice immoral? No. Okay. Is the model of uh, myriad choices that are impossible to make based on there being thousands of world religions, mm-hmm. based on incomplete evidence, based on non-compelling evidence from the Iron Age? Yeah. Um, I'm supposed to choose on that for my mm-hmm. everlasting soul? Uh a God that could, part's the part that's immoral. Yeah. So obviously I don't, like I wouldn't as a Christian think that is the situation, but at the same time I think it's a good place to end because it shows where there's a divide. Uh, I think we've had a lot to, to get into the divide. I can't wait for, for Drew and, and, and me <laughs> to talk about this a little bit as well. And uh, yeah, I don't want to really add to it. I think that's a good place to stop. And we never quite got back to what I gave, I gave you credit for, especially <laughs> at the beginning where I said I think you're touching on what's called the Epicurean Riddle which is really the the one, to me, is the best argument for, for uh, whether God exists, which is I'll let other people look up the Epicurean Riddle and, and try and learn something off of Wikipedia. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, really nice to have you. Appreciate it. Thank you for it. having me. And, uh, and listen to the after show where Drew and I continue to discuss this issue for another five to ten minutes. Thank you very much. All right, so we're back. This is Drew with Bill to discuss the episode you just heard with Justin and um, I thought Justin did a really good job of sort of, um, first of all, both of you at the beginning clarifying the question. So you yeah, asked, it was helpful, very helpful. You asked what his biggest problem was with Christianity, and right away I got into um, sort of maybe separating it into the uh, is there a God question and is it the Christian God. So mm-hmm. when, when you got into the sort of the specifics of is it the Christian God, is it is it Yahweh or how, However, he attacked that. I think he said, you know, his problem was with morality. It was a morality issue for, for Justin. At least mm-hmm. that's the way I understood it. And so he talked about some things in the Bible that he thought were not right, uh, maybe even immoral, um, that, that God was doing or saying or was being ascribed to God. Um, and... <clears throat> You know, to me, he, he, would, he would come up with these and you would sort of address them. And it, it kind of felt a little like whack-a-mole. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. well, how about this one? Well, how about this one? And, you know, I, I definitely feel like we can all be um, guilty of that, maybe even from both sides. Yeah, of, of just sort of throwing whatever, whatever furniture we have at the door. Yeah, just sort of throwing, yeah. you know, kind of the kitchen sink arguments yeah. and just... Maybe they don't even have to be consistent. I'm not. I'm not accusing Justin of this. I'm. Yeah. You know, I'm saying I'm the same way. Well, first of all, I think in one sense it's to his credit that he had a bunch to say. He had he had a number of things to say at least. He clearly thought about all of and this. And I also <laughs> say this, though I do think he was a little bit of a, of a sort of kitchen sink. There were some moments in there like that. At the same time, I'll just say this very clearly: I've absolutely done that yeah. myself, and probably will still do it at times. Right. <laughs> meaning all of us at times feel just a little bit like here's the next thing. If the first thing doesn't doesn't work as well, but I I really just liked he was he was authentic and said mm-hmm. this was a problem for him and he said straightforwardly this is why it's a problem and you know I tried to address some of the this, the particulars about the Bible and it's a pattern I've I've seen you know when when I'm talking to um, atheists is that it's very common for them to criticize Christians' understanding of the Bible Christians not reading parts of the Bible Christians. Um, Basically, just not knowing their Bibles well, but I, I do feel sometimes like it turns out both sides don't really know their Bible well, <laughs> and right. that I, I sort of feel like you know the it's a he problem. said some things about the, that little statement about the sword and peace that are just so 
obviously wrong if you just read the context and read it's, it's about it's very much about context and you you know you've all you we've all heard these things whether we grew up in church or not mm-hmm. um it, you know if, if you're an atheist and you've studied it um and things like not bringing peace but a sword mm-hmm. and in, in isolation you can take that a number of ways you know yeah. is it a statement to uh, the, the the crux of his mission, or is a statement of culture, or of a kingdom that's coming. Or, yeah. you know. or who's he talking to? Even but, like, but when is you, he talking to the disciples? But when you brought up the context, he's actually just talking to the disciples, and he's yeah. saying, "I'm going to have to go through a lot of junk. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's not going to be good." Yeah. And um, <clears throat> you know, the lilies of the field was another example. And yeah. It's like he's not. I think the the accusation was that God was saying, "Just do whatever you want. Don't worry about tomorrow. You know, death is better than life." That's what, and that's not that's not the point. The point is, don't don't yeah. worry. Uh, well, you, you brought it up. I, I'm, now I'm forgetting what the context even was. But Yeah. Well, it, it just starts to sound like a lyric from a rock song rather than what Jesus actually meant. Or so you, you can be treating it that way. It, it becomes, you can, you can easily make it broader and um, more, um, you, can, you can put it in a light where it's a little harder to swallow. And it's a little, it's a little more, um, you can be a little more critical of it as, yeah. as a moral but thing. But I agree with him do. that. Christians also, I mean, I think it's true that Christians aren't reading lots of parts of their Bible, and Christians aren't thinking very carefully through the Bible and so yeah. on. It's just I think it turns out it's probably true of both yeah, sides. Yeah, to be clear, that's, that's, that's definitely a problem for both sides. Because, again, you know, if it's that easy for an atheist to misinterpret or take, take in a different direction, and a Christian can, can do the same thing, and, you know, maybe even a little bit worse, because they have, they're trying to follow it. Yeah. Sometimes in these conversations, Drew, uh, I really do feel like when I'm talking to somebody, um, they'll give me a point of criticism of something Jesus said or something in the Bible. And my first thought is, you know, it's this this is going to go nowhere because I don't think they understand what this is. And I can think of like five others that would be much more difficult for me to have to answer. (laughs) And I think this is just a part of just having an honest conversation. Like when you and I talk about things, I feel like I can say to you, you know, the part that's really hard for me is this. Right, right. You know, and I'm not just kind of waiting for you to throw something at me. I can just tell you what's honestly, I think, a really actually big challenge for the Christian, mm-hmm. for someone like me to, to have to, to, to deal with, wrestle with. Like the Epicurean riddle, for instance. <laughs> yes, the Epicurean riddle is definitely... We, so the problem of evil, which, you know, yeah. I think Justin hit on a little bit, but, but y'all, you said at the end, y'all didn't really get back to, is, is one of the things that you and I have talked about yeah. the most and that you have said is, is a real difficult thing to, to, to justify. And I think also really interesting about some other things that Justin brought up at the very end, you, you started talking about what we always tend to get back to in our conversations, which is the, the grand design plan of, yeah. of God's. And then the idea of us having free will. And he took an, a different take than I do and an interesting take that, um, having free will is not a problem. Having the choice to make of, do I want to follow God or not is not a problem. His problem was simply an evidence issue. He, he yeah. feels like he's being asked by God, if, if, you know, if that's true, that it's, it's not, it's, he's being asked to make a decision on insufficient evidence. Yeah. So I appreciated that take. Yeah. I, I think that's a, to me, that is a, a much more compelling argument uh, just there's, as, as I think if I remember, he said, essentially, there's just too many options. You know, like it's, it's okay that there's an option, but you've got a gazillion religions in different languages, a gazillion sacred texts, and it's just not reasonable that people can go sort of evaluating every religion and philosophy that's ever come, we've come up with that's in the record of history in order to make a, deci- a reasoned judgment 
mm-hmm. and um, you know, I, I can to me that has a little more teeth, and there's definitely something more to talk about. Um, I don't take the view that it's quite so difficult, or that we I don't myself think we have to sort of review all of history's literature and ideas and religions in order to draw some conclusions. And I actually don't think most people do anyway. I don't even think the atheists have actually usually evaluated carefully all the religions and every aspect of, of God that has been written by the you know, Xenophanes, well, the philosopher, before they decide they're an atheist. Yeah, I wouldn't you think know. it would be quite as incumbent upon them if they're not basing their life on their atheism. Yeah, that's true. But well, yeah, no, well, I... Everybody's, <clears throat> I, well, I guess everybody's... Ba- I mean, ultimately, we're all basing our lives on whatever our worldview is. Yeah, well, I thought it was but an interesting I still think, discussion. I think that had some teeth, even though I would disagree. It would be a whole other... You and I would have to do a whole podcast on it. I disagree with how clear the evidence is and where the light is found. I don't think you have to have to have, have read uh, you know, the Quran to draw any inferences about the nature of God and what God's like and whether he exists and things. But at the same time, I do think that's a, be- a much better argument than some of the other things. Oh, so I think in fairness to Justin, you know, what, what he was saying is not only that, but it's uh, if you did grow up reading the Quran, if you grew up in that culture, if you grew up um, a Hindu or something, it would be very difficult for you to, you know, sort of see the truth that you haven't been exposed to or, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. No, I, I, I think it's true that you're, there's no question there's all sorts of factors that affect whether you, how you see the truth and... But again, it'd be a whole other podcast for me yeah. to sort of explain why I don't think that's the, the right perspective on what the ultimate truth really is. But I do think it's a much better angle and question and challenge to, uh, to um, Christianity. Anyway. Well, well the, the, the divide is a little tough in this one, but I think, um, you know, I, I do agree to some extent with Justin that, you know, that there are... I think you would even agree. You know, there's, there, mm. there are problematic things in the Bible that are hard to interpret yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and come up with a reason for. And um, that leads to sort of this, you know, from my perspective, this, this sort of lack of sufficient evidence. And so I thought he, he made some really good points about that. And, of course, you would say the opposite. You would say that the evidence is sufficient and um, overwhelming to believe. So, So that's... It's about, is it, would you agree? I think, I think that's about right. <laughs> Fair yeah. enough. All right. All right. Well, uh, I'm Bill the Christian. And I'm Drew the Skeptic. Thanks for listening. The Divide is produced by Alan and Ben Hawbrooks and edited by John Workman. Dalton Reed handles IT. Join us for further discussion on this topic at our subreddit, The Divide by iPub. To learn more about other episodes and who we are, check out ipub.org slash the divide. See you next time on The Divide.